Hey guys, what's up? It's January 11, 2021. Welcome to Happy Hour with Ryan. We are going to crown a college football playoff national champion tonight, Miami Gardens, Florida. We've got uh, number one Alabama going against number three Ohio State, respectively records 12-0 and 7-0. And speaking of college football, we've got a Great guest on for this week, Broderick Green. Yes, you heard it, Broderick Green, uh, former USC and Arkansas Razorback running back, is coming on the show to talk football and his journey through life thus far. He was now coaching. We had a great conversation. I've known Broderick for about six and a half years, and I've got to get into the story later of how we met. But first, wow, January 6th. 2021. It's going to go down in history. I'm titling this Anarchy in America. So I was, I was here working at home uh, like I've been doing <laughs> for many months now, uh, coming close to a year. And around 2.15, so I'm on Facebook just kind of looking through news feed. You know, I check it time to time. And somebody stating something's going on in D.C. So I, you know, turn on my TV, CNN, and I, I mean, I can't even really believe my eyes and, and, and also my ears of what I'm hearing. So we've got an angry Trump supporter mob, rioters, terrorists, anarchists who just barged into the White House to do what was deemed probably a hostile takeover to somehow all of a sudden switch up who actually won the election which uh, was confirmed uh, the senators and everybody was in the house to some odd hours of the night we hours of four in the morning uh, pretty much confirming the victory and wow you know, we haven't seen anything like this in about 200 years. Uh, the U.S. has not experienced this in in that, you know, that time frame. Um, so I kind of just want to go through the timeline here of the last four years and, and kind of what America has kind of experienced. So, you know, some odd around 2014, 2015, you know, um, Republicans, you know, they're preparing, you know, you know, whoever their candidate's going to be to put on the ballot. Uh, Democrats are getting ready to possibly select someone who's going to take over possibly for uh, when old Barack Obama, you know, leaves office. And in 2016, by November, we had Hillary Clinton and we had Donald J. Trump. Which there was some uncertainty, like, you know, how do we get to this point? You know, and a lot of people were uh, Bernie Sanders fans and, you know, we were like, wow, this is all we have to choose from, but let's go forward with it. And it's still baffling. Um, I just remember Shaquille O'Neal saying uh, that week of the election after it happened, how someone with no political experience could get elected to the highest office in America. That tells you a lot. You know, 
you just think, wow, you know, somebody who's been a businessman but has no political experience could be the president of the United States. But we heard so many times, you know, let's give him a shot, let's give him a chance. You know, he may do some good. Now, maybe his administration did do a few things, but I think most people would have to agree, for the most part, he was really not suitable to run the country. And Barack Obama even echoed that many, many times. Um, People that, you know, were Trump supporters, uh, they were criticizing Democrats and, you know, looked down upon you know, just so much hatred and vitriol to others. And it was just ridiculous. Um, you know, it's almost like we're divided now as a country. Like, you know, we got this group versus this group. And, you know, if we don't vote these two people in, um, you know, we're in a world of trouble or the other side is saying the same thing. And, you know, I was just listening to after the events happened Wednesday, you know, all the senators are standing up giving speeches, you know, of how horrible uh, event this was, which it was. It was horrible. We all can agree. And how, you know, we kind of put our trust in these, you know, political people um, to you know, we have hope that, you know, certain things like laws and other things get passed so that we have a better country. And here in one guy, he was from Nebraska. He was a Republican. And, you know, he made a really good speech uh, when he stood up. You know, he said, hey, we may disagree on some, upon some things, but, you know, we come in these quarters to decide, you know, we vote, you know, we have discussions about, you know, what needs to change or, you know, what is bringing, being brought to the forefront as far as, you know, what's going to eventually, uh, you know, is going to be beneficial to Americans or is it not going to be not beneficial to Americans? And, you know, I've had several discussions about different policies, policies and procedures with, with people, friends and family members. And, you know, some of those conversations were civil and some were not civil. Um, And I think I've documented on here right now. I'm not friends with a fraternity brother. Um, Now, not so much really that we're on different sides as far as the political views, but talking in terms of um, how black lives were taken this summer. In, in, in wrong situations where it shouldn't have came to that point and you know brutal force was acted upon them taking someone's life now again we can disagree on policies but stuff like that that's ridiculous there should be no argument on that it really shouldn't um, somebody's life being taken you know and as we know 2020 being a trying year um, you know seems like Unless something cataclysmic happens, you know, 9-11 brought people closer together, you know, then after a while, you know, everybody just goes their separate ways, um, 
you know, nobody really cares about their neighbor or anything. Uh, nobody cares about their community. Uh, no one wants to reach out and help anyone. So, you know, November 3rd, you know, in 2020, you know, so many people came out in full force to vote. And, you know, they want to change again, you know. And um, I, I think people were said, you know, coronavirus or not, you know, we're coming out full force for the election. You know, 74 million people, you know, voted for President Trump. And then Biden sets the record uh, over 80 something odd million, you know, voted for him. And for four days until the seventh that Saturday, we got a definitive winner, a projected winner, um, who we were going to have. You know, everybody's in the street. You know, they're celebrating and everything. And it just seems like from then on, Trump tried to challenge first. And, and I mean, he, as we know, you know, he likes battling in courtrooms and he was not going down without a fight. So, you know, he's challenging and suing states on voter fraud. Um, you know, he even mentioned right before the election, he thought the mail-in was just going to be a huge conspiracy against him, you know, for him losing the election, you know, if he possibly did. And uh, he's thinking COVID-19, you know, also that's a factor, you know. And then after that, you know, you've got states that are doing countersuits you know, stating, no, these votes stand. Um, And then after that, he states, okay, well, you know, he's just going down the list. Okay, well, if the electoral college votes Biden, then I'm going to concede. So still making just, you know, delusional demands and just ridiculous remarks. Then kind of where we come back around to January 6th. So back in December, sends a tweet uh, about having supporters come out and do some type of march and protest to see if they can overturn the election some kind of way. Like, really, that was going to make a difference. Um, And then so he comes out this past Wednesday and he says, you know, we're going to congratulate the people in Congress but some of them were not probably relating to the two Georgia senators that uh, got in office basically um, in Georgia, the same state. He was actually trying to find magically 11,780 votes, some kind of way. So you cannot just sit there and say that he did not want this to happen or he wanted this type of anarchy, you know, in D.C. And so brings us around to what happened on uh, January 6th and people committing so many laws uh, or excuse me, violating so many laws and, and treason and happening. And it was just craziness. Uh, you see uh, on a video, a black cop trying to retreat back up the stairs because this angry mob of Trump supporters is coming at him and finally he gets up to the second floor I believe and then he has backup from other cops and they're stating you know you can hear uh, 
what they're saying in the background, saying, you know, this is our country and da 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 and all this. And the cops saying, you know, back up, back up. You know, it, I was like, wow. I mean, they were busting out windows in D.C. Like these federal and state buildings. I mean, it, it, was, it was craziness. People running around like it was like the animals were out, you know, running around like it was a, a wild zoo. It was ridiculous. And to make things worse, a guy named Richard Barnett from Arkansas, from Northwest Arkansas, actually, to be exact, had his feet up on his desk, on Nancy Pelosi's desk in her office, stole, confiscated a document from her office. And then Trump has audacity to call these people patriots? Are you kidding me? But yet, some of these same people were condemning athletes like Colin Kaepernick for kneeling. You know, I was listening to a podcast and I might have said it before, a while back, a wrestling podcast I listened to and uh, the host Colt Cabana had his guest was uh, Hardcore Holly. Some of you that watch wrestling may remember him in, in the Attitude Era. But anyway, you know, he brings up, he, he was like, you know, basically, uh, I'm glad I had you on or whatever on the show. Um, I'm, you know, I know you pretty much did steroids and, you know, I, I kind of interested in, you know, why did you do them or, or whatever, you know, and, and he acknowledges that he did steroids. But he said, you know, everything in moderation, because, you know, some people have succumbed to, to steroids and death or whatnot. But he was like, you know, he was like, yeah, I did it, you know, but I did something wrong. But, you know, he talks to some people. He's given an example. He said, do you drink? Well, yeah. Do you drive? Yeah. Driving while drunk. That's just as bad. But what I'm getting at is. We live in the most hypocritical nation in the U.S. We really do. We're always looking down on some, on someone just because they do something. And I remember uh, my pastor at St. Mark said one time that, hey, for example, if you're smoking and that's not harming anybody else, if that's what you want to do, then do it. If you want to drink, if you want to party, whatever you want to do, that's up to you, you know. You're your own person. But the stuff we went through the last few years, and I'm just like still scratching my head. Now I hope people see that we live in two different Americas. January 6th set a huge example of that. We live in two different Americas, as you see. And I remember Shaquille O'Neal said um, Thursday evening that had that been black people, we would have seen it all in the headlines, bloodshed in D.C., I guarantee you. And he said, if, if you're a person that has to say whether you're a person of color or you're Caucasian and you have to say, if that person was black, and they did what they did at the Capitol. Woo! Could you imagine? 
could you imagine? And for Trump to basically speak this out in existence about having a march or protest, four people pretty much lost their lives. And it's just like, for what? You knew you weren't going to turn over election. You knew you weren't. Come on. can think about it. It was done fair and square. Are there mistakes made? Sure. We're not perfect. But for that to go on, and now it's almost everybody in the GOP is turning over on Trump. I mean, I'm even surprised. Even Pence, I mean, he probably... It is, I'm sure, very disappointed at the events that happened. Um, but you know, this is probably the fir- going to be probably the first time in history that the transition of power from one president that's leaving to another president incoming. I mean. It, you know, Trump's even said he's not going to even be at the inauguration. Pence said he was going to be, but Trump said, nope, I'm not going to even be in there. You know, he is a sore loser, you know, and I'm pretty sure a good majority of the time he's used to winning. But he lost this election, clear cut and dry. Now, I could say again, you know, with people saying, oh, oh, it, it was rigged and this and that and the other. Well, I I seem to remember, and most of you probably will as well, back in 2000, almost 20 years ago nearly, that a one Al Gore supposedly was cheated out of an election. And George Bush now becomes the president. But you know what? Amongst all that that happened, Al Gore left peacefully. George Bush serves his uh, well he, he, he serves his four years wins a re-election Obama you know gets put on the ballot as a presidential candidate for the Democratic Party George Bush transitions the power to Barack Obama Barack Obama serves two terms Wins a re-election. He's out in eight. He even invited Trump when Trump won to the White House to sit down and speak with him. Transitions the power smoothly. With no ifs, ands, or buts. But here we are, 2021. In nine days, literally. And folks, anything can happen in nine days. And who knows what's going to happen. But hopefully and prayerfully, we don't have to endure what we did January 6th. A day that will live in infamy forever. And I mean, Biden even said it, you know, in his speech uh, when he won, um, back on the 7th of November, that Saturday, he said, my goal is to bring both parties together. 
And that's what we need to do as a nation. We need to come together because 74 million vote for a guy that probably had no business really running or being in there in the first place. But, you know, he's in there. He's on record being a president. You know, and then we have another 80, you know, over 80 million vote for uh, President-elect Biden. But there needs to be some kind of common ground that we get to uh, as a people because the guy from Nebraska, the senator that was talking, you know, he said, you know, really the people are the nucleus of all this. You know, we're doing it for them. It shouldn't just be, you know, that's where the focus and attention needs to be. It needs to be on the people because really technically, and I've said this before, the people have the power. We really do. Um, and I just hope by, and I'll say this before as well, you know, having this podcast, it's just so great learning about other people from different races, different backgrounds, where they come from, you know, and getting their points of views and opinions, you know, things are going on. Um, I was watching 60 minutes last night and they were interviewing, uh, Nancy Pelosi and, I mean, at one point, it looked like she was about to tear up and cry just describing what craziness was going on in anarchy in D.C. on Wednesday. And, you know, these people, these senators, and I know people have different opinions on different ones about, you know, you know what they do and, you know, call them out their name and whatever. But, you know, they have families, too. And... They probably, when all this is going on, when, when people are taking over the White House and barging in and and just, I mean, they're probably thinking, you know, I may not even make out of this alive. And she even showed one of the quarters where they had to get under the desk and hide. Um, they even barricaded themselves in, moved the table near a door. Uh, I mean, anybody in their right mind would be scared, you know. Uh, wow. Uh, but, and, and this is what gets me as well. Immediately, people were saying, oh, that's Antifa, da, 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 da. It was not Antifa, folks. These were Trump supporters. I mean, again, he sent out a tweet. He wanted them to march and protest on, on the White House and try to overturn the election or disrupt them from counting the votes uh, to solidify that Biden had won the election. So you can't tell me it was Antifa. You you cannot. Wow. So, but for the most part, you know, except for those four lives that were lost, like I said, you know, the blood is on his hands now. It's on Trump's head. It really is. Uh, But, you, you know, now the people that were supporting him are silent. Now I hope you see what we've been saying, and even, and a lot of those people that were, um, you know, head to the White House, they were Trump supporters, and they were marching, protesting, everything. A lot of them, you know, didn't get hit with rubber bullets like black people did. Who were, might I add, nonviolent marchers and protesters? Just think about that. But they were getting hit with rubber bullets. They were getting maced. They were getting knocked to the ground. They were getting pushed. Everything. But that just lets you know 
that there is a privilege of certain people that they can do whatever they want whenever they want and you know what it's been like that for years and years and years and the bad thing is people have been knowing it they just don't want to acknowledge it just think about that so now I hope people now see why we're so passionate and you know why the kneeling goes on because of unfair treatment of black individuals why we have been protesting not just this past summer but even previous Martin Luther King uh, Malcolm X all these figures everybody joining with us now the people that have already joined with us they already know it's no surprise to them but now people now see we do live in two different Americas so I just hope going forward that uh, we just do better as a country. That's all. That's all we need to do. And not pass judgment. Next, we'll move on to sports. Uh, so we had wild card super weekend uh, Saturday and Sunday. So if you don't know, the NFL actually uh, added a few more teams into the mix this year for the playoffs. So uh, we got Buffalo Bills, first time in a quarter of a century, Downs, Indianapolis, 27-24. The L.A. Rams beat the Seahawks, 30-20. Tom Brady with a new team in the postseason. Tampa Bay Buccaneers rolls over Washington, 31-23. And yesterday, wow, Lamar Jackson gets his first career playoff win over Tennessee, 2013. How about them Saints, 21-9 over the Bears, and wow, so last night, I got to congratulate the Cleveland Browns. Now, I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan, but I believed them from the get-go. I was like, you know what? I think they're going to upset Pittsburgh, and uh, you know, I'm sure only the people in the locker room believed in them, but I did believe in Cleveland. I'm sure some other people that were non-Cleveland fans did too. But uh, they came out, scored 28 points in the first quarter, and they hung on to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 48-37. to So now we head to the divisional round, just to let you know what's upcoming Saturday. So we got the Rams at the Packers, 435 Eastern Standard Time. Then we've got Baltimore heading to Buffalo. And then Sunday, which I think this is going to be a great game, the Browns at the Chiefs, 3.05 Eastern. That's going to be a good game. And then to round out uh, Sunday's games, it's going to be Tampa Bay. So we got Brady versus Breeze. Head, you know, the Buccaneers heading to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. I think that's going to be – that's probably going to be one of the best games. I was hoping that would have been maybe for the NFC Championship to decide who's going to go to Super Bowl 55. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be a good game. That's definitely going to be a good game. So, without further ado, uh, coming up on the podcast is the interview I did with Roger Green. A great guy. So, funny how we met. Uh, this was uh, 4th of July weekend, 2014. And I kind of talk about this on the show toward the end of our, our uh, interview. So, uh, we go to Next, which is a bar 
in the uh, Kavanaugh area. And uh, uh, me and, you know, my wife and a few other people, we're on the dance floor dancing. We're just cutting up. Uh, DJ Sleepy Genius, he's spinning spinning records on on the turntable. And I just felt like I wanted to do the, uh, the kid and play dance. So I turn around and I see this guy, you know, uh, you know, stocky built. And uh, again, I didn't know who he was at first. So I just randomly turned around and said, hey, hey, do you know the kid and play? And he was just like, yeah. So we did a kid and play dance or whatever. And then a few more days go by. And uh, I'm looking and I'm like, holy crap, that's Broderick Green running back for Arkansas. I could not believe that. So, uh, yeah, he came over a couple times to our our pool and and swam with us. Uh, Really down to earth and good guy. So he's going to come on and and, uh, to the show and talk about, you know, uh, uh, growing up here in the uh, Little Rock area um, and all the offers he had from colleges. I was just wild. I was like, dang, that's crazy. So we had a lot of offers uh, in his junior, senior year uh, before he entered college or before he chose where he wanted to go. Uh, he talks about being out in uh, USC in California and then having to come back home and his journey to uh, Fayetteville with the Razorbacks. And uh, so it, it was a really good show. I was keeping it under wraps uh, for a little bit. I don't like to jinx myself and, and put out there who I'm going to have unless it's really locked down. But I wanted to keep this definitely a secret uh, because uh, I know a lot of uh, people want to listen and tune in to this show because it's going to be it's real it's a real good one so without further ado up next on deck on happy hour with ryan mr broderick green former usc trojan running back and running back with arkansas razorbacks comes on the show this week and not much not much how you doing we're good man Awesome, awesome, man. Uh, who, who you got today's uh, wild card uh, weekend? <laughs> man, that's, that's wild, man. Uh, I don't know, man. As far as tonight, I'm going for Seattle. Or yeah. This afternoon, Seattle tonight. Uh, Pittsburgh and, I don't know, it's kind of a toss-up between India and Buffalo. Okay. Is that a Kansas City uh, Chiefs uh, shirt I see? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Chiefs, man. Till I die. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so kind of tell us, start us off here. Uh, first episode of 2021, man. Uh, uh, we got Roger Green here, former running back for uh, USC Trojans and Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, uh, you you were born and raised in Little Rock. Yeah, I'm actually. Oh, I'm actually from Arkansas. What's that? I'm from England, Arkansas. England, okay. Okay, I did not know that. Okay, okay. And you went to high school there? No, I, right before I went to high school, uh, I moved up to Little Rock. And then I went to high school in Little Rock. So, uh, but I was in England until about seventh grade. Okay, okay. Any any siblings? Yeah, three older brothers. Okay, okay. Are you, are you the youngest, or? Yep, I'm the youngest, man. Oh, man, so they probably tough love. And- <laughs> <laughs> Stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, what, did you did you go to PA or? Uh, yeah, I went to Jackson first. Okay. 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 
did you start growing? Uh, when did you start hitting your spurt as far as growth uh, in school? Man, I've always been like the bigger kid growing okay. up. Okay. I mean, I was dating everybody, stronger than everybody. And at one point, faster than everybody to the ball. Probably about seventh grade. And when I moved up to Lurock, I was kind of like, oh, shoot. There's a lot more faster people up there. I was, you know, the fastest in school down there from the time I was born. So, yeah. you know, it changed a little bit. Uh, but I think I really hit it my sophomore year. Because, like, okay. my, I mean, I, my freshman year, I was, like, 210. And I was probably about five, nine and a half, five, ten. And okay. over the summer of my sophomore year, mm-hmm. I was about six, one. I was about 230. Wow. And I stayed that way. Gotcha, gotcha. Did, did you guys uh, go to state uh, PA or? Yeah, I went to the, I think my first year we were out in the semifinals. I think we lost to Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. Nashville Scrappers. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we were in the state championship. And uh, we lost. And then my senior year, we got in the state championship. We lost to Greenwood by, I think, like like two points or something, or like one point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, what's, what's up with Coach uh, Kevin Kelly? What's the deal? You know, I hear he always goes for it on fourth down. I don't know much about him, but I just hear it on the radio. Uh, did he? Has he always had that mentality or that? Hey, always. <laughs> from, the, from, the, from the time he started coaching, he ain't changed his philosophy at all. Uh, yeah, it seems like a, vi- a video game or something. You, 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 yeah. You're just pouring on points or something. <laughs> he's, he's big into like uh, statistics and like you know, uh, just like the thing is like he looks at it like this: the more you punt the ball on fourth down, you give the you know, your opponent an opportunity to score. And right. to, you know, get the ball again, move the ball, take time off the clock. And, it, you know, you got to be a gambler. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, high risk, high reward. So yeah. it's like, if I'm willing to go for it on fourth down and I feel like I can come up with a master plan and I convert, there's a chance I'm going to put up more points and I'm going to be able to either keep the score up or fight back to, you know, get back in the game versus giving you an opportunity to get ahead mm-hmm. as I'm giving you the ball back. Yeah. So, because mm-hmm. they're like, I'm not surrendering. you just going to have to make me take my hell. Yeah, and not not jumping too, too far, which we'll get to in a little bit, but uh, I remember they saying on the radio about, uh, and they were inter- interviewing Coach Brett Bielema when he was at Arkansas, and he said they're statistically, uh, they usually take the ball first, uh, you know, winning the toss or whatnot. You have a higher percentage, you know. You get an extra possession or something like that, and I never really thought of it like that. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I think he, I think he was killed at the kick though, because he wants the ball back ahead of time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he's telling you, he's aggressive. He's like, any chance I can get the ball, I want it, so I'm gonna kick first. Right, right. Um, so when when did you start getting offers? Uh, was it your junior year or senior year from uh from colleges? Um, my, what was it? Like sophomore junior year, mm-hmm. like junior ish year. Okay. Yeah. Who, who, who? Pretty, much, pretty much. Gotcha, gotcha. So you at PA getting the offers? Who were you getting offers from? Uh, my first offer was Kansas State, um, and then I had like Virginia Tech, and then I had like 
Texas and a couple other schools, and then it just started exploding. It was USC, wow. State, Penn State, and uh, Michigan, and you know, you name it. It was everybody. Wow, man, that's that's incredible. That's tremendous. Uh, what what made you pick USC? Oh man, just you know, Coach Carroll, amazing coach, man. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> I was coach, you know, I watched it for so long, and I saw him on TV, and I was like, man, is he really like? Is he really like that? Or he just fake, you know? Cause he seems like a players' coach, and he's cool, and yeah, got him on the phone, and got to know him really well, and you know, and he came down to like three of my games, and like. You know, all the staff is cool, and they're just so laid back, that California mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah. And, um, you know, I struggled in high school, man, with my grades and stuff. And what kind of really sealed the deal for me with them was, you know, he told me, he was like, hey, man, I'm not going to give up on you. I believe in you, and we're going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And a uh, prime example, I'll throw it out there. Um, Notre Dame offered me a scholarship. Nice. Stanford and a couple other places. And my grades were kind of down. And I, you know, and I couldn't make it. It was just really tight. And I had to really buckle down. Yeah. But Notre Dame and Stanford pretty much called me and told me, hey, you know what? We don't know if you can make it. We don't believe in you. Oh, man. We don't think you'll make it. Mm. So I was kind of like, you know, uh, hey, if you don't want to, you know, you don't believe in me, you don't want to pursue me, and you think I'm just some, you know, dumb jock or whatever, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. I don't have to go to school anyway. And uh, Coach Carroll was like, man, look, regardless of what any of those coaches said, forget that. Like, you're going to make it. I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to stay on you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to push you, and I'm going to make sure you get eligible when you come to school here. And so one of the things he did, this is when I knew it was real. He was on vacation in Hawaii, and I was getting ready to go out. It was a Friday night. He told me, he said, hey, man, I'm going to call you. I'm on, I know it's a different time difference, and I'm busy and doing recruiting and all this and whatever, but, hey, you you one of my number one guys, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on you. I'm going to call you when I'm out of town or whatever. I'm like, man, he's doing Hawaii. He's going to call you. Yeah, right. <laughs> It was about 11 o'clock, 11.30. Fresh shower, all that. Mm-hmm. Come in, go hit the town. Right when I'm about to step out the door, phone rings says, Coach Carroll. I said, <laughs> The phone. He said, hey, man, what's up? What's going on? I was like, oh, no, Coach, just chilling at the house, man, you know? He said, uh, yeah, man, what you got going on? I said, oh, man, just, you know, just chilling. He said, cool. Um, all right, well, man, I'm, I know I'm on vacation. I'm in Hawaii, all this. Well, I told him who called He said, uh, you study ACT stuff today? I was like, yeah, I did. He goes, oh, okay, cool. Well, go ahead and get your book, and uh, let's go ahead and break down everything you studied today. <laughs> and my heart stopped. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. What am I going to tell him? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just went over a couple pages. All right, well, what'd you go over? He was like, let's go. Review everything with me. I'm like, bro, at 1130 at night on a Friday? <laughs> That's prime party time. (laughs) He stopped me. He stopped me right in my tracks. He said, man, look, I'm going to tell you like this. I don't have to recruit in the state of Arkansas. I don't even have to go out of California. That's true. 95% of our guys come from in-state. We get four or five-star guys wanting to come here every day. He was like, guys are dying to come here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was like, I don't have to recruit you. He said, I'm coming to Arkansas because I see next level talent in you, and I know you could be special here and be a part of this program and help us out and easily have a target to the, to the NFL. Mm. He said, that being said, if I'm willing to go out of my way and do all this stuff to recruit you and spend my time and, you know, count other players out and put you on my list and all this other stuff and offer you a full ride, he said, do you know your scholarship is over a quarter million dollars? 
He was like, it is $90,000 a year for you to go to school here. I wow. Said, I said, 90000 He said, 90000 Think about that. Mm-hmm. He said, so if I'm spending $90,000 a year for you to come here, I'm going to need you to get on your SHRT, mm-hmm. buckle down, take mm-hmm. this serious, mm-hmm. and show me that you want this just as bad as I do. And after that, I was like, okay. I mean, all right, I'm in. And that's when I knew he was real about me. Mm-hmm. He really wanted me to put his time in. He was, you know, 100% on board for me. Like, regardless of who was recruiting me or where I was thinking about going, he mm-hmm. didn't care. He was just like, look, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you because I want you. Wow, man, that that's that's incredible. That's the first time I've heard up close how that kind of works. I mean, you hear the, you know, you see the thirty for thirty sports specials, you know, on ESPN. But you know, you know, they sit in your living room and you're like, you know, are they do they really have my best interest at heart? Because that's usually what parents, you know, especially mama, she say, hey, you're gonna take care of my baby, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you entered uh, USC. Was it fall of '06? Uh, oh, 07. Oh, 07. Okay. Okay. Man, I when you. Got there in the summer. I got there in like June, May or June, like May. Okay. Okay. So got there a little early on campus. Man, man how was it? Uh, you step on, man. It's just like warm weather, palm trees, uh, yeah, the whole nine. It, it, it was a love hate relationship for so long. Yeah. Because I first got out there and I was kind of like, all right, I'm in LA, you know, it's for the first time. Yeah. Like, away from home. Like, I'm way away from the house. And, you know, and so I found a great group of guys who I still talk to this day. Like my best friends. It was probably about five of my teammates and uh-huh. some of their friends that didn't play football that they grew up with. We it's about ten of us, and we all just clicked up together. They're like my brothers, and we talk all the time in a group text, and you know we keep up. And you know they got kids now, and married, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Share pictures and talk and laugh about old days. And, so they kind of took me in. Yeah. They were like, hey, we're going to show you the do's and don'ts of California. <laughs> you know, don't wear this on this side of town. Don't go here at this time of night. You know, don't do this. Don't yeah. do that. You know, only go here at this time. Only mm-hmm. And I was like, dang. So once I got used to that and I kind of figured everything out and mm-hmm. I had my close bunch of friends and mm-hmm. um, I ended up meeting this girl who I started dating. So I had a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had, you know close teammates and I was good with my coaches and I kind of figured it out so I was like okay now it's becoming more of like a second home right and so I started to get acclimated and mm-hmm. everything was good and uh, while I was there the tough part was my mom was going through a divorce at the time mm. uh, and then my grandma got sick she had a stroke oh wow and went to the hospital and all that stuff and then you know, I was okay. And probably about three weeks later, she had another one. Mm. This time, you know, she developed paralysis on her left side, couldn't move her arm no more. And her face was twisted up from the stroke and you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I, I'm probably about to go home. Yeah. Coach begged me, begged me not to go. Not like, to go. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman, at the end of the day, you know, not to be negative, but mm-hmm. things happen. It's yeah. Controlling. You know, you're going to lose people. People are going to die. Right. People are going to get sick, all that. And there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And 
You know, I ain't trying to hear that. I'm like, look, y'all are 30 minutes away from your house, 20 minutes and all that. And yeah. Like, it takes me a whole day and a half to get home. Mm-hmm. If something happened, like, I'm screwed. You know, I can't just drive there and be there in 20 minutes and say today. Like, no. Like, you know, and I'm like, but it's my grandma. Like, I grew up with her. Like, she pretty much raised me. And, you know, I'm not finna pass up an opportunity to go back and see my grandma and be home and all that. Just because y'all want me to do that. Exactly. And I'm like, y'all, you know, y'all not looking at it from my perspective. And, you know, it's hard for me because I'm 20 years old making this decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was tough. Like, I didn't want to leave because I got so close to my friends and all that. And I was so hurt, man. And, like, when I left, I remember my last day there, they threw me a surprise party and I just broke down in tears. And I just, because mm-hmm. I was just so close to everybody and I knew we were all going to graduate together. And yeah. Oh dang! Yeah, yeah. So then you you come back to Arkansas and um and hopefully uh and you said your mom and your grandma are, are they still alive or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good deal. Good, good to hear. Good to hear. That that's what that's 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 some good things to hear there. So then, um, what was the decision like that made you choose Arkansas? Did, did, was it just you know being in state and you say ah oh, well you know. Closer, obviously, a few hours, you know, from, from your hometown. What was the decision there? Well, I just was like, you know what? I mean, I got a chance to go back home to go to state and still play at a good school and have a full ride and have school taken care of. So I was like, if I can go to Arkansas and be, you know, close to home. Yeah. You know, my brother was at the university at the time. My cousin was at the university at the time. Actually, I think I had two cousins at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, I got a little bit of family up there. You know, we can all go home together or, you know, take turns or ride with whoever, you know. And it was just kind of like, all right, I can be back home around my family. We can get to my grandma. We can all go at the same time. Kind of like, you know, it was just kind of like another way for me to have more comfort in school and being away from my family and all that. And uh, I was a little homesick in L.A., but like I said, I was fine until all the stuff started happening with my family. Yeah, yeah. And when I went, saw that happen, I was like, bro, I'm, I got to go. Mm-hmm. But um, I came back, and um, coming back to Arkansas as I was going back home, they, uh, UCAA allowed me to get a uh, hardship to where I could play right away and I didn't have to sit out. Good deal. So mm-hmm. they were like, okay, hey, we'll let you go home, you know, take care of grandma and all that, whatever, and I'll still play. Gotcha. And uh and, and then also uh Ryan Mallett, he came back, you know, he, he was at what, Michigan, I believe. Yeah. Um he, we actually talked uh mm-hmm. my freshman year. When I first got out to USC, he got out to Michigan. Wow. How about that? Uh, he was considering coming home. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Hey man, you know, would you want to come back with me? And I was like, Man, I don't really know. I'm good. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go back, you know, he's like, Well, I'm probably going back and you know, I want you to come back and let's change the program and you know, all that, and I was like, man, you know, I, maybe, I don't know, I was like, if I come back, cool, but I don't really see myself coming back, mm-hmm. and then it's funny, the next year, all the stuff is happening with my family and all that, and I called him back, and I said, hey, bro, I'm probably going to come back, he was like, yeah, come on, like, you know, come on down, let's go and change the program, and let's keep everybody in state, and let's, you know, let's do it, and next thing you know, I called him, so I just done deal, I'm coming back, and so... It just kind of went from there. Yeah, man. So, so, so you arrive at Arkansas, you and Mallet and, and DJ Williams. I sometimes see him around town here now in Little Rock. Uh, man, how was it playing for uh, Coach Petrino? Oh, man, it was 
<laughs> I mean, especially to go from Coach Carroll. Yeah. I mean, when you walk in the meeting room and he comes in dancing. All right, yeah. You know, at the time, those soldier boys, so he's like, you, you, all this. And he's coming in there and they, he telling people, hey, make a beat, y'all. Make a beat. Somebody rap. Somebody freestyle. Sheesh, you yeah. You know, and like, so just that way back phone. Bye. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, players, coach kind of mentality. To go from that. To you know, you walk in the meeting room, and the first thing he says is, "You know, everybody, shut up, close your mouth, oh, man. eyes on me, and, and don't say a word." And I'm just like, "Wow, yeah, <laughs> who is this guy?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, this was the total opposite, and he was just so strict and so detail oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, although there were cons, I mean, there were a lot of pros. You know, as far as just. Um, just being like I learned to be detail oriented and I took that with me as far as my coaching now and just how I was as a player mm-hmm. because I got out there and I was like alright hey when I take a step this way I need to look after my third step and the ball should be right here or, you know or hey when I'm running I like to press it a little bit this way and then cut back and so it's like you take those little things with you and it just kind of helps you become a better player athlete and just being detail-oriented helps in life in general. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, definitely had a strict, very strict style of mm-hmm. coaching. Mm-hmm. Very, like, demanding. Militant. A yeah, little bit. Militant. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then, so beginning of, of fall 2010, I, I believe you guys were 2-0 and go, going in to face Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Man, and I think you guys came out. Mallet was slinging it, man. You guys go down and score. You guys are up on Alabama. They had just won the national title of the, the previous year. Uh, what fell apart in that game? Because uh, I, I think you guys had a really good chance, uh, yeah. you, you know, in beating them. Yeah, I think we just gave up a couple big plays. Mm-hmm. Kind of let them get back in the game. Um, I honestly think that was one of the first times Alabama felt a little threatened. Yeah. Because it was tight. It was a tight game. Mm-hmm. It was better than they thought mm-hmm. we were. And um, we came out, we were moving the ball, we were confident, we were putting points up. And a lot of teams always just fear Alabama. They were kind of like just one of those teams where it's like teams are going there like, well, all right, we know we're going to lose. So mm-hmm. Got that sight. Let's just play hard as we can and mm-hmm. put up something if we can. If not, oh, well, they're going to win. Yeah. That's kind of how teams played then. And we mm-hmm. were like, man, we don't care. We got to go yeah. in and we got to show them. And so when we were doing it, it was like, oh, yeah. And then just kind of little, like I said, a couple mistakes here and there. You know, they win a couple big plays. You know, say a third down conversion where we're up by three points. We need one stop. One mm-hmm. stop, change the whole momentum of the game, get the ball back, score, and they convert first now. And it's like, oh, that <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. They get field goal range. And it's like, oh, man, mm. three more points you know, that we shouldn't have gave up. Yeah. So the little things like that, they capitalized on, and they were able to keep us out the mix. And uh, I remember the last drive I was in, we were coming down, we were moving the ball on them, moving the ball, moving the ball, and it was probably about mm, a minute and a half left, two minutes. And we're driving, we're driving, and I think we're down like three. It's like, no, three or four. I think it's 28 to 24. Mm-hmm. We're driving down, and we're just trying to get down there so we can try to score last minute. Yeah. And something happened. I guess there was some miscommunication, 
and Mallet threw the ball, and I don't know if it was to DJ Williams or somebody, but it was overthrown probably about two or three yards. And there was an Alabama safety sitting back there. Mm. And if it was thrown in the right place, I think it was a miscommunication between the quarterback and receiver, or quarterback and tight end. But if it was in the right place, it was a catch, and he could have ran straight out of bounds, and it was about a 30-yard chunk. Uh, the safety was sitting back there, and the ball was overthrown, and he was right in the position, and he it just fell into his arms. He took our run on the interception, ran about 15, 20 yards. Wow. Put yards down the line, we pushed him out of bounds. By that time they got the ball back, it's like a minute and 40 or something. Mm-hmm. And then you got Mark Ingram and right. Trent Richardson there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just ran the ball for a couple plays, ate the clock up. That was game. We lost four points. Mm. Yeah, because you guys only had the, the two losses. And, man, uh, you, you beat LSU. Uh, of course, Auburn ends, ends up being the national championship. You play against Cam Newton there. But uh, uh, you, you guys earned a BCS bowl bid uh, to New Orleans, yeah. um, you know, to play Ohio State. How was that uh, going into that game? Uh, oh, just didn't have that, too. We- I don't care what nobody say. We should have been in the national championship that year. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We beat LSU. Uh huh. And they, they, so if we were one, two, and three. Uh huh. LSU, Bama, and us, because I think Bama had one or two losses. Mm hmm. Um, and we had two losses. Yep, too. yep. LSU had, I think, one loss. Mm hmm. Oh, no. I think we all had two losses. But either way, right. We beat LSU. Mm-hmm. LSU beat Bama. Yep. So That's what it was. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. happened where they just slid them down. And they were like, <laughs> okay, LSU, y'all go from number one to number two. Bama, we gotta go from two to one. And Arkansas, uh, y'all stay three. And we're like, what? <laughs> and we had more points, like everything. And, but, you know, it was like, hey, it is what it is. So we just knew that was the year. We were like, hey, national championship, especially if we play LSU again, it's over. Right, so, right. But we went to the Sugar Bowl and played Ohio State. And uh, Ohio State was a good team, but mm-hmm. we, we, we should have beat them. We beat ourselves that game. Yeah. You know, it's just little mistakes here and there. And, you know, we, we ran the ball on them a lot. And, um, I haven't. That was wild. I remember that game. I did kicker turns that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember, like, you guys were down significantly at halftime, and it came out and was coming back. You know, three and outs for Ohio State. Also, might add, because a lot of people are like the game really didn't count because they had the ineligible players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, they, you know, they, they, they stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wow! 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 So, did you and you uh, did you play uh, in the rest of your career, and then the next year, did you graduate or? So after that Sugar Bowl, mm-hmm. let's see when, which one was that? I think that was my junior year. Mm-hmm, right. And then my senior year, I played in the Cotton Bowl against uh, Kansas, Kansas State. State. Right. Okay. Okay. Which which you guys won? So so you went out on a good note there. Yeah. 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 Man, what? So I do want to bring up what happened. So in 2012, um, that was the year, and Arkansas was in the top ten. Um, you know, projected. Uh, they Tyler Wilson maybe uh, Heisman candidate, uh, national championship uh, aspirations there. And then I remember me and Jen went to Miami, and we get back, 
and I'm looking on Facebook and Twitter and there's something about Petrino being an accident and I was like, what's going on? Wow, just that changed the I mean that changed the whole landscape. People were like, Well, they should have they shouldn't have fired in. I know probably Jeff Long was in a tough position, man. Uh what was everybody thinking on the hill? Like I was like, Wow, that's gonna mess up our chances or you know, what's going on? Man, it was it, wow. We were just like, wait, what happened? Yeah. Like, this real? Or y'all like playing? Like, man, y'all playing. Uh huh. And the media, they're like, oh, okay, this is real. Okay. Wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after that, it was like, okay, who's going to be the coach now? We thought it would be like Gary McGee or somebody like that because he was an office coordinator. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Once he didn't get it, we were like, okay, well. I mean, we don't really have many options left on the staff or who they could choose who they you know. And so they ended up going with John L. You know, <laughs> time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John L., man, he just kind of got put in a bad spot, man. Mm-hmm. John L. is actually a good coach, man. He's a great dude. He's like a grandpa to us all. Mm-hmm. Um, high energy guy. You know, he, he was one of the only coaches, you know, that would come up. And normally I'd be walking down the hall or something. He'd come up behind me, put his hand on my shoulders, and he's like, "Hey man, how's your day? Everything good?" I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. He's like, "You know, how's how's home? Everything, grandma good? Your mom good? All this?" Like, yeah, everybody's good. He's like, "Cool, man. Well, hey, you need to talk about anything? Girls, school, you know, life in general. You need some help on something? Advice? Whatever? Just uh, let him know. Put up my office, call me, and then got my number." And I'm like, man, you know, and it just meant a lot to hear that from a coach, especially when you're having a tough time in school and, you know, the way he coached, but you know, coached and, you know, dealing mm-hmm. with that and kind of, it's just, you know, it was just tough as a player at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, lastly, uh, before we go into our last segment here, um, man, Arkansas, you, you know, they hired Bielema. Uh, he's there for uh, uh, four or five years and, you know, it's up and down, you know, uh, seemed like it was fairly decent hire, but just couldn't get over the hump. And then um, I'm trying to think the last guy before Pittman. Um, um, Chad Morris. Chad Morris. Uh, just two, a couple couple wins, uh, no SEC wins. But, man, I really think Pittman has got it turned around. Uh, uh, what's your take on, on Sam Pittman? Oh man, I'm, I love him, man. Yeah. I think he's a great fit for the school. And, you know, I didn't know much about him, but the players that did play with him that I knew, mm-hmm. uh, like Cody Walker and a couple of guys, uh, Rohan Gaines, all those guys that were around, the younger guys with me, they were like, man, dude's a real deal. I said, really? They were like, yeah, man. They were like, dude, he's just like a Pete Carroll, kind of like players coach, like, you know. He's fired up all the time, like he's you know all about it. And I'm like, all right, I guess you know I'll take y'all word. You know y'all know. Yeah, yeah. So I met him myself, uh-huh. and I hope that man, dude is cool. Like you know, he seems like he loves it here. As far as interviews, down in tears, he's passionate about the job. Mm-hmm. He's happy he's here. He's, he loves it. You know, you can tell it ain't for the show. It's real, and he wants to be here. He wants to build here. He wants to recruit here. You know, and, um, you know, to see the players come out fired up and looking like the old Arkansas. The culture's changed. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. culture changed. And, like, seeing players use technique and being in the right spots and making one-on-one tackles in open field and, you know, exploding off the line of scrimmage and 
you know, busting through runs and finishing. And I'm like, man, that's that's how we're supposed to look. Like, yeah. it's been a while since I've seen this. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's like, you could obviously tell it was coaching. It's not, it's not all the players, it was coaching. Because mm-hmm. when Coach Morris was here, they weren't being coached. Yeah. They weren't being, you know, taught the right ways to, you know, make the tackles and to, you know, shed blocks and to, you know, break tackles as a running back and all. I mean, you can tell it's just kind of like players are just kind of out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going through the motions, kind of what they call it sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he never owned it. He never took responsibility. He always tried to toss on the players, throw them under the bus, and kind of find an excuse. He never once said, you know what, hey, I you know, I accept responsibility. You know, I, I should have done a better job coaching. I should have, yeah. you know, nothing. nothing. Mm. So just let me come in and make such a change in one year. You know, it's already just like, wow. So, I mean, I'm thinking we can win six, maybe seven games next year. Mm-hmm. Can, in, can prove himself a little bit and keep on getting better. I say six, seven games. Yeah, because I was even listening to the uh, – I usually listen to the buzz every day. And something they were saying when he was recruiting, you know, there was pictures. He was just sitting in, in people's houses, you know, feet propped up, shoes off, just laid back, you know – just trying to do good by the community and I know that's kind of my podcast is kind of based around uh you know uh how much we do in the community and everything and I know you're a big proponent there uh in the community and, and what you do um so you finished at Arkansas and and you are you coaching now or yeah coaching now okay where are you coaching I'm at a Central Junior High and I also coach Houston uh, okay. middle school so I coach 7th 8th and ninth grade how how do you like it about about you know give it back to the community and give it back uh, oh, to the man, kids? It's a blast. Yeah, you know, um, just you know, and I coached before because I coached J.T. Robinson for about a year. I coached T.J. Hammonds while he was. Oh, there. nice. Okay. Um, so I've known him for quite a while, and, um, but I wasn't certified at the time. But mm. now I'm certified and I'm legit. You know, yeah. And you know, so it's good to be back in my environment, be back doing something I love. Mm-hmm getting back and it's so crazy that you know they listen to me and they notice like when I show them certain drills and I give them the reason why we're doing it mm-hmm. and I show them how it's going to help them improve and be a better running back and you know and like they're getting game time situations and they say hey coach man when I got to the outside the guy was coming to tackle me and I stiff on him like you showed me and that's the drill we did in practice they were like hey just like that drill, you know, it carried over to the game, and it was a game-like situation, like you said. And I'm like, now you see, I know what I'm talking about. And they're like, Coach, man, man, you cold, man. Like, you know, real stuff. You know, and I'm just like, you know, I, I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm the most white guy, Coach. You gonna have me like, and I'm just so cocky with it, and I'm yeah. just so like excited and just passionate because. I live through them again. You know, when I see them break that long runs and mm-hmm. run somebody over mm-hmm. and get up and they're hyped, you know, and I get hyped too, and it just brings back memories. It's like a nostalgic feel. And I'm like, yeah. I remember doing that. Man, let me just say, the way you describe that, uh, since it's popular, I relate it to Cobra Kai, you know, where 
you know, Ralph Macho's teaching now on the series where Mr. Miyagi was teaching it. They're like, why am I doing this? Why am I, you know, painting fences and washing cars? And they said, and, and they're, and he's like, okay. And they're like, I, what am I learning? Why am I doing this for? And they said, okay, well show me. And then they're like, oh, wow, you're teaching me, you know, this and that and the other. So now they can kind of see that, uh, uh, uh come alive in, you know, fruition there. Um, who who's like a running back that you emulated or, or uh, and also I guess a two part question uh, like your favorite NFL player so somebody you emulated growing up and then maybe uh, or, or favorite uh, NFL player man it's a couple of them man because it was a, such a weird time I know I wasn't the, the same type of back yeah. <laughs> but in my mind I was but man in college mm-hmm. oh man Reggie Bush yeah man, Reggie Bush all yeah. time like I literally was trying to practice his moves. I was trying to cut the way he cut downfield. I, as big as I was, every time where I was even trying to reverse field, and I'm successful a couple times. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, but I just felt like, you know, like when I had the ball, I was just like, I got to do the stuff Reggie's doing. You know, I got to be electrified. Like I mm-hmm. got to just show people that even though I'm a big bag, I can still move. I can shake people. I can win people over. I can do everything. And uh, so Reggie and Linda White were my mm-hmm. two favorites in college growing up. And that was another one I went to USC because they, yeah. I just watched them every week. I watched all their plays. I knew all his moves. I knew everything. I just thought that he was just so fresh on the field. Um, yeah. NFL-wise, same kind of thing. I was never this type of back, but I was a big Barry Sanders guy. With mm-hmm. Big Barry Sanders fan. Um I like Eric Dickerson as far as the old school. Uh, but new school as far as my style at the time when I was growing up, I think the closest thing to myself as far as an NFL back was Larry Johnson. Okay. He was a big back mm-hmm. that could run over, make you miss the whole nine, but he was still fast and, you know, was an overall, like, great back as far as blocking, running, catching, did it all. Awesome, awesome. And uh, what about your hobbies? Some you just, man, you get home, uh, do you have guilty pleasure, Netflix or video games? What do you like to do just man, in your spare time? I'm so, man, I don't know, man. With all this pandemic and all this yeah. stuff, now it's like, it's just life is so difficult now and so weird to adjust. Like, normally I used to like going out on the town a little bit, hanging uh-huh. out. Being social, whatever it was, like now I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I played the video games for a while, and then I started to kind of, you know, I got to that point where I would turn the game on, mm-hmm. maybe playing 2K or something, get in the first quarter, right? And shoot a couple shots, and I'd be like, man, I'll play this tomorrow. <laughs> I'll turn that yeah. on, get going, I'm going to return the kick, throw a pass, and I'll say, man, I'll play this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I just kept putting it off, putting it off, because, mm-hmm. you know, I just worked so much, you know, in transportation and all that before I got to school that I felt like I never had time for myself. So I was like, I don't want to just sit on the game. I'd rather, like, do something or go somewhere or go eat or go, mm-hmm. like, do something. So it's just, it's just tough now. But, I mean, Netflix is cool. Um, movies and stuff, like, you know. I mean, I'm just kind of chill, man. I'm down for whatever. I'm simple. I feel like I can make anything fun. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, who are your Super Bowl uh, picks for uh, this year? AFC and <laughs> NFC. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Yeah. 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 Ye
Come on now, Kansas City. You see that? <laughs> you see those right there? Yeah, yeah. So Mahomes, man, he he. I call him the football version of Steph Curry, man. That guy's incredible. Incredible comeback, man. Looked like they were going down to the 49ers and just, I mean, out of nowhere, I think it was Tyreek Hill made that incredible catch, came back, and the rest is history. Um, so, so you got the Chiefs. Who you got from the NFC? Man, I don't know. Let me see. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the Chiefs. I'm going to have to go with the it's been a weird year, man. I'm yeah. To, it's weird because actually, you know, a lot of the teams are like kind of neck and neck. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what, 10 and 4s, 10 and 5s. Yeah, 12 and 4. You got Saints and you got, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Seahawks. Like, I don't know, man. It's going to be close. May come down to it. It doesn't matter. They're going down to the Chiefs anyway. Yeah, yeah, they they may have the best chance since the Patriots uh, back in back to back oh three and oh four repeating. Uh, I think people were saying that at the beginning of the season. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, before we go out there, I just got to tell everyone that's listening, man. Um, how I met you actually. So you know, we were at about, uh, almost uh, be set. It doesn't seem like it was yesterday, but seven years. Um, Fourth of July weekend, we went to next uh, or level or whatnot, and uh, and, and, I, and I and I remember I had a few drinks, and I'm sitting there dancing for and and girls are with us and, and and my wife now, and we were there, and I turned around and, and I see this guy, which, which was you, and I and I was like, I just randomly, I just felt like doing. It. I said, Hey, man, you know the kid in play dance? Cause like I felt like nobody else knew, and you were like, Yeah, I'll do it with you. Yeah. And then I leave, and then uh, I'm like, man, that guy looks familiar, but I just don't know. And little did I know, man, Roger Green, I was like, well, I'll be damned. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, what? I was like, I I honestly didn't know, man. I did not know that was you. (laughs) No, that's funny, man. No, I mean, as you see, I was, man, I'm approachable. You are. You are. Yeah, man, that's that's what's awesome about you, man. And I see your post now, man, you know, as far as community, man. I mean, the paying it forward, man. I, I read those, man. Just want to commend you on that, man. Just, yeah, keep doing. You come, seem like from, you know, good morals and, and values from, from your household. You know, you're a good person. Uh, you're one of those people I like to say, and it's rare that, you know, those are out there. Uh, you just don't have a negative bone in your body. So man, yeah man, appreciate everything, and uh, uh, appreciate you being on, man. Any any last words before we sign off? No well, man, I just appreciate you having me, man. Like I said, you know, for all the people out there viewing and listening, you know, hey man, it's a great guy, you know, great show, you know, good luck with everything. Appreciate it, you know, thank you, up. thank you, man. Appreciate it, and we'll be in talks, man. Hope to see you soon as well. Uh, hopefully, hey, all this hey, this stuff is over. <laughs> I sure will, man. All right, man. Well, take care, man. Enjoy a super wild card weekend as well. Gotcha, man. Tell your wife to say hello. I sure will, man. Take care. All right. All right, bye-bye.